Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here, another episode of ATDC Radio, and this is going to be a fun one because this is all about blockchain. We've got three folks here that are doing some cool stuff in the space of blockchain, and we're going to kick it off with the old friend Kel Canty with Verity. Welcome. Thanks. Glad to be here today. Well, Kel, um, why don't you uh, help the listener who isn't as familiar with blockchain as the people in the room here? Why don't you define some terms? So blockchain actually came about back in 2008, so it's been around for a little little bit, and is the technology that kind of underlies Bitcoin. And I think everyone's probably heard of Bitcoin, but they haven't heard of all the advantages. A lot of the news is, is not very good on the actual uh, advantages and features of blockchain and Bitcoin. So I'd like to mention a couple of things about uh, the ability to have censorship-free currency on a global basis. A lot of people in, in the U.S. don't necessarily need uh, cryptocurrency or, or blockchain per se, but um, the ability to be decentralized on a global basis means that there's no central authority, which for, say, people in Venezuela or other um, you know jurisdictions that may not be as you know developed and as uh, citizen-friendly as what we have here in America – um, it's a huge advantage in terms of being an internet native, decentralized capability. And uh, I think that's really one of the things that uh, people need to think about in the United States is not necessarily looking at it from the standpoint of someone who has five credit cards, an ATM on every corner, and three loans, that uh, the blockchain enables uh, decentralized trust and the ability to have censorship-free um, on, a, on a global level. Now, how does that work in a, in a country that maybe um, the government isn't working for the citizens and the citizens want to have some control over their currency? Well, it's, it's interesting. So it, it actually, you know, it's like water will find a way. People will find a way to access these um, things of value. And, uh, you know, even not to push things a little bit far, but if you think about in the uh, – the expansion that the Fed did when we were just printing $80 billion a month, there's even people in developed nations that want a uh, currency whose fiscal policy is uh, more set and more deterministic than the whims of a current administration or Federal Reserve guy who is saying we need uh, expansion. And, you know, the ECB is doing that now. The Federal Reserve did it quite a bit. And if you look at the value of uh, certain fiat currencies, meaning traditional currencies, uh, today, what you could buy, say, 50 years ago and what you can buy today, it's uh, it's really impactful at the the uh, lowering of the value of the currency. But so um, with blockchain, it's decentralized. It is decentralized. That means that there are, are tens of thousands of uh, nodes running around and the currency uh, is actually determined by the code. So it's it's actually hard coded. You know exactly how many coins uh, there will be there'll be 21 million, and the fact that uh, it can be divided up to eight decimal points means that it will always be relevant. There's actually a school of economics around this called the Austrian School of Economics that talks about currencies that have fixed monetary policy. It's kind of like when Nixon took us off the gold standard. There was something backing the currency that was you know more of a hard, firm standard. Even though there's always more gold in the ground, there's still relatively 
you know, secure in the amount being valued there. It's a similar thing in terms of digital scarcity with the cryptocurrencies. But who watches the watchman? Like who, like who can, like if, if somebody can create a uh, Bitcoin, can't somebody create, you know, Kelcoin? You can create that. That's why there's been a flight lately um, after the huge explosion in 2017 uh, to the, the core cryptos that um, have sufficient adoption on a global basis. So you have something like Bitcoin that major corporations, NASDAQ, the um, CBOE, others, the SEC have all recognized as a currency and have um, tens of thousands of participants. And it takes a huge effort and agreement of the entire network to actually change anything about the protocol. So you have kind of a crowdsourcing of truth and uh, any adoption of changes that everyone needs to agree on for it to happen. But it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Like when it first started, nobody or barely anybody adopted it. Now slowly over time, it's gotten kind of more solidified. Mm -hmm. I mean, how is that different than back in the day when tulips were a currency and everybody was all pro tulip and they were kind of hoarding tulips? Okay, so I hate that example. It's not um, really analogous as far as I can tell. That had to do with valuation of an asset. This is actually a digital currency that has staying powder. I mean, it's obviously, I'm not sure how long the tulip phenomena happened in, in Amsterdam, but, uh, you know, we've been in existence over uh, a decade now. You have people like the NASDAQ, you have China looking at issuing central bank currencies. This is, you know, that analogy is kind of like saying, you know, we have faxes, why do we need email um, in my mind? So I, I think really... This is something that you can just tell by the valuation. When I first got into it, it was maybe a couple hundred million. Now it's uh, about 150 billion. And again, again institutions and uh, governmental regulatory agencies are all adopting or uh, bringing into play frameworks for the expansion of this uh, new asset class. So now uh, you're kind of mentioning Bitcoin by name. What about the other cryptocurrencies? This is my personal opinion in that, you know, for 2017, there were thousands coming out and our platform actually supports around 3000 different currencies. But I think what you'll end up having is you'll have a handful or two of extremely strong platforms like Bitcoin and Ethereum, maybe Stellar, EOS, uh, Libra, the new Facebook sponsored, but not owned by, uh, by Facebook currency that can enable custom programmable coins on their network. So you'll have five or 10 blockchains, I think, and they will support custom tokens that you could have, say, Walmart coin that would substitute for a prepaid card or uh, other ones where you have strong blockchain platforms on a global basis, but then the ability to have programmable money on them. So now um, for Verity, blockchain is not crypto, right? They're not synonymous. It's crypto uses blockchain. Cryptocurrency typically uses blockchain. There are some new ones that actually use decentralized um, uh, mathematical representations called directed uh, acyclic graphs, but those are some of the new ones that are kind of addressing some of the uh, the scalability issues. But yeah, blockchain is a fundamental um, information technology that people are using to validate things like voting, like um, you know where you have uh, other situations where you need decentralized trust. Obviously, the first mover in the space has been currency, but things like voting, uh, Walmart has mandated that all their suppliers use blockchain. 
uh, to help with the provenance and tracking any issues with quality of food as they bring that in from shippers and farms and you know warehouses around the nation. They can track bad batches of food and eliminate them or quarantine them in under two seconds using blockchain. So now, how does Verity play? So one of the things that uh, is kind of a limitation is the ability for traditional regulators, government bodies, uh, auditors, and accountants to deal with the fact that there's this new uh, value asset that's being used both for investment and for payments on a global basis. One of our clients does about 200,000 payments a month in cryptocurrency on a global basis. However, they're um, very um, off to the side in terms of you don't get bank statements for crypto. You don't uh, have traditional feeds in terms of, you know, a processor like a, um, a Visa or a MasterCard or, um, you know, a bank like Bank of America. So we help act as a proxy for that and help the adoption on a business level for use of crypto as payments. Uh, globally, we interface with uh, the main accounting systems like NetSuite and QuickBooks and um, and Zero, And we provide the existing financial management people the ability to get a handle on these rather than going to random internet sites. Now, is crypto, is it a currency or is it an investment? Like, is it something that I, if I have some Bitcoin, do I want to just hold on to it because it's increasing in value? Or is it something I'm going to go and buy a Coke with? That's part of the issue the regulators have with cryptocurrencies is that it can function both ways. So think of it as if you had purchased uh, Australian dollars. Now, maybe you want to go to Australia and you want to spend those dollars, or maybe you waited five years and they doubled in value against the U.S. dollar. You could look at it either way. People can buy things with currency, and also currency traders actively trade foreign exchange rates, right? So um, it's like that in that the use or the categorization is determined by the use Lately, it's been, um, or in the past, it's been about the investment in that asset to see it rise against the U.S. dollar. So people talk about it that way in terms of Bitcoin has gone up against the U.S. dollar. They don't, they don't necessarily, or the USD has devalued against the U.S. dollar. So in that way, it's an investment. But um, you know, you have uh, local people like Atlanta-based uh, BitPay that are processing over a billion dollars in global payments using blockchain-based payments. So it's both. Can I use it to buy, like, go to the store and buy milk? It depends on the store, but in general, the mass adoption has not occurred in the U.S. There's probably going to be some uh, movement forward to that in the next year or two. And there may actually end up being, you know, particular coins um, or tokens that end up working kind of like a, a credit card or like a prepaid card in order to kind of, like, make that happen a little bit. It's It has to do with all the point-of-sale systems at all the retailers um, and the fact that in the U.S., because of credit cards, we haven't really advanced that much in payment activity. If you go over to Asia and uh, other other nations, they pay with their phone almost all the time with things like, um, you know, WeChat or something. And that lend, that kind of structure lends itself toward, you know, adopting to, to cryptocurrency. And we just, mobile payments don't take off here in America for, for some reason. Now, what about in the countries that are um, where their currency is kind of super volatile? How would um, using crypto enable to make payments easier and more with a more stable cur- currency? So it's a huge advantage, plus the international basis of it. I mean, if you look at the highest adoption rate of uh, cryptocurrency in the world, uh, it typically occurs. I think the highest right now is in South Africa. 
um, almost 10% adoption rate, and they're being used for both domestic and international payments. And you look at ones whose faith in their central government is perhaps lacking or they have high inflation. Um, examples there are Venezuela and Argentina. And you have uh, even China is looking at doing a cryptocurrency version of their uh, currency called the yuan. And Iceland and some other smaller countries have talked about adopting a cryptocurrency central bank uh, coin and Sweden recently actually removed all physical currency. So it's coming, um, and I don't think it's that far off. Now, for the a regular person out there and wants to use it as a currency, is it happen? Uh, can I use it like a credit card, or is it required? Uh, it used to require, I don't know if it still does, some sort of a wallet that I have to have, you know, a password that's difficult. Like, how, to, how does that work in kind of in a regular basis there's a couple of different options for that so say bitpay offers a credit card and then there's also a block card there's probably 10 or 20 different ways that you can utilize crypto through a, a traditional credit card in order to uh, actually spend the crypto and use it and then there's some uh, interesting ones that are coming about where uh, they're working by having a upc code that can be scanned like a gift card code and that's uh, being deployed right now at several major retailers. So it's getting easier and easier to use. It is. I mean, I, I think that will continue to accelerate uh, now that it's interesting. The The advent of Facebook's Libra has made the regulators wake up. And they're actually, even though the, the size of crypto is still extremely small, people give it a lot of news because it's very exciting. Uh, but relative to other asset classes, it's it's minuscule. But the regulators are now starting in the U.S. starting to give us frameworks, which, you know, they already did years ago in places like uh, France and Switzerland and Singapore. So now for Verity, um, who who uses your service? What type of who's your client? So we have two basic uh, types of clients. One is the accounting or audit firm that's looking to help their clients who are involved with cryptocurrency. And then we have uh, also the businesses themselves that are using that, for example, here in in Atlanta, there's a, um, a, a company called Storage that provides decentralized storage. They work with a lot of different cryptocurrencies, including their own token, which powers their network. And we help them account, audit, and uh, manage all those uh, assets. And then, so you help give them the framework so they can, because the IRS wants theirs, right? So you're kind Always. of, you're in the middle of that to help them report it back to the IRS in a way that the IRS is believing you and that, that this is really occurring as it is we help with uh with gathering of tax information but even then if you think about someone running a business at the end of the month you've got to close out your books right, right? so they're doing parts of payroll bonus you know 200,000 payments a month you can't wait until april 15th of next year to figure out what you've done this month or this quarter or this week so it is a daily or weekly regular basis um, business accounting software that helps you track your cryptocurrency activity so now, it, does it work the same way as uh, like the U.S. dollar? If I have um, cryptocurrency, its value is what it is today, not in April 15th when I do my taxes? So there's some things around how you're going to treat that and whether you're treating as an intangible or if you're looking at uh, doing mark-to-market of your assets at the end of the month. And there's a lot of uh, accounting technicalities around that um, that we probably don't need to get into right now. But just let's say that we support a couple of different accounting methodologies for figuring out how you're doing with your crypto activity. Right. But this is important to kind of, for the user, they have to feel confident that they're reporting it properly. 
Sure. But like I said, there's several different ways in accounting. You, a company can, just like you can choose cash or accrual, right. there's different methodologies. And we support that as a platform, depending on what that CFO or controller or accountant has said our methodology is going to be. We support using our legible platform as a tool to give them the data they need for that methodology. And that's the advantage of using Verity. Well, yes. And there's a, an extreme lack of tools that are at a polished commercial level in this ecosystem in general. So we give them the tool and then we also give them the ability to report the data in a way that fits the methodology that they've picked. So now what's next for Verity? We've got some interesting things coming up. Uh, we're looking, uh, we've recently uh, added home fiat currency. So we have built in native fiat, meaning traditional currencies like Singapore dollars and great British pounds uh, that we can start reporting on natively. And we're expanding uh, internationally as a result. So exciting times. It, always in crypto, always. So now um, is the biggest opportunity in these, in these countries that um, are destabilized when it comes to their currency? There's some opportunity there, but I think there's also uh, opportunity in uh, nations that have already decided that, you know, this is a valid asset class and this is a way of the future and it's growing. Um, so if you look in Asia, the adoption rate's huge. The actual center of uh, technology for cryptocurrency and blockchain in the world is actually Switzerland. So um, they've already done that sort of thing. And it's funny, I'll just, uh, uh, I've stopped really arguing about whether it's a thing or not. In terms of saying, oh, it's going to be outlawed or whatever, there's a lot of people that uh, have some uh, immature views of the space, and I end up with just two very simple questions. I ask, is it going away? And they kind of go, no, it's not going away. And I say, is it getting bigger? And they say, yeah, it's getting bigger. And I say, that's it. <laughs> that should answer the question. Yep. So if somebody wants to learn more about Verity or connect with you, what's the coordinates? So it's uh, www.verity.com. That's V-E-R-A, which is the Latin root for truth and then dy good stuff well thank you so much for sharing your story today thank you very much great to be here all right hang with us a couple more guests next up on atdc radio i got anthony Malley with vouch welcome uh, thank you for having me it's a real pleasure did you learn anything there cal's kind of smart yeah i'm kind of intimidated <laughs> now he's the blockchain guru right yeah. is he i don't know that was a, it was on his business card but i can't vouch for that tell us about vouch <laughs> yeah so, so vouch is a decentralized identity and access management platform <clears throat> excuse me essentially we try and inject trust using blockchain where traditionally you've not been able to do that with an identity and access management system so things like centralized control centralized databases all go away with a decentralized blockchain based model we build on that to protect your assets, whether that's a human identity or a digital identity. It, it doesn't really matter. So th how does it work? So um, what's an example? So so two simple examples, you know, passwords are something that we can get rid of using blockchain. Passwords. Yeah. So, so I know your identity because I trust you and I can trust your device. I don't need to get you to type something or there's no shared secret anymore. Uh, so, so our platform immediately gets rid of passwords. So there's no shared secret. And then things like, you know, digital keys or access to something like an IoT device uh, becomes possible because we can absolutely trust the identity. We can absolutely trust the, the device authenticity. 
so then how how am I authenticating that I'm really me and this is me in front of my device? Well, it's, it's essentially we're authenticating your, your, your device. So if you have an iPhone, for example, you will have a cryptographic key pair which we store on the blockchain. And because that's immutable and distributed, we know that hasn't been tampered with, right? So core blockchain technology. But we can also then link in your biometrics. So on your device, we can take a, a snapshot of your biometrics. We don't store that, but we can leverage the, the on-device biometrics. And if you pass that and you have the key, then we know that it's you on that device. But the key is in the device? The key stored on the device is also replicated in a, a public key on the blockchain. Right. So that way we can do the match. So then the, the device has the key, and then um, then you're also saying, okay, the my face or my eye, iris or whatever the, the biometric is, and then that combination says that I'm me using yeah. the device at that point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. So how'd you get the idea for this? It, we actually were trying to do a startup uh, a couple of years back. Uh, we looked at kind of traditional breakthrough technologies like AI and machine learning, IoT. Uh, but we had the same problem in, in every single idea that we had, which was we just couldn't trust the devices. We couldn't trust the identities of the people using it. And therefore, we couldn't trust the data that we got from those devices. So we had to take a step back and solve that problem first. Uh, and that's where blockchain came in. That that was the solution, essentially, to establish the trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that became the company, essentially. It was such a, a groundbreaking way to solve trust for devices and humans that we made that the idea. So now who's the buyer of this? Essentially, any enterprise can use this. It's not really consumer-focused at this point. Um, you know, our companies range from automotive companies using it to get rid of passwords for for kind of apps that they give to their customers to creating digital keys for cars. So right now we're working with the, the world's largest automotive company uh, to to replace a physical key fob with a digital key that sits on your phone and is tied to your identity. So just as you approach the car, it unlocks or turns yeah. on or whatever yeah, you want it to so, do. So it does both. So proximity just like your current key fob, mm-hmm. uh, it still works that way. But also we can do active, which is you have your phone or, or any device with our software on it, frankly, uh, and that can activate over Bluetooth or RF to yeah. unlock the car. How did you get the opportunity with this car company? How did that come about? Long relationship. So so my whole career has been kind of chief architect, CTO in large companies. One of them was an automotive com- company, so we've got lots of contacts there. Uh, we did a kind of prototype proof of concept based on our software, which worked out really well, and it's led to to an actual implementation. So that uh, that's good advice for startups out there, right? Yeah, to, absolutely. To, to leverage those kind of relationships to get these opportunities. Was it difficult to persuade them, or did you use kind of the history you had with them that opened the door to allow this to occur? I, th- I think when you see blockchain in action, it really opens your mind. Uh, but until that point, it's really difficult to to kind of onboard for sales opportunities. People don't really understand blockchain. They mm-hmm. don't really get that it's not, you know, they think it's just another database. Right? Why should I do blockchain? It's another database. Right. I need to trust all these other people who have, you know, uh, different nodes. I, I don't understand why I would do that. But once they get to see it in action, you know, kind of locks open in their brain if you like, and they get to understand why it's powerful. And also that they get to realize all the problems that 
they've been countermeasuring for decades. You know, like central admins with with root access to all the data that could change things, and right. no one they would actually just, know. They were just tolerating it because that's the way it has yeah. always been done. Yeah, but they didn't realize the the level of risk that that was putting them at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and blockchain solves a lot of those problems. So now, is this a, a difficult conversation to have with people? Or are people open to this now? Or is blockchain becoming more and more kind of an acceptable solution? It's still difficult uh, in, in our experience. Sales calls usually start with a lot of explanation of why centralized is bad. You know, really just educating people on the problems that they have that they didn't realize. Um, what really helps is all of these password leaks that happen every week. <laughs> that, that's like the best thing, right? So... Uh, IoT device hacks and uh, password leaks. Uh, there was even a really great MIT leak uh, last week or the week before where all of the fingerprints for their, their door system were leaked. One million fingerprints <laughs> were leaked. Uh, so that's one million people out there who their biometrics, you know, they can't trust that finger anymore, right? Right. Um, so, so our product solves for a lot of that. So, so it really helps engage people in the process. So all you do is watch the news and then call the CIO of those companies. Absolutely. That's your sales Absolutely. process. <laughs> yeah. Who went to MIT? And thankfully we've got someone who went to MIT. So right. we can leverage, you know, b- back to your previous point, leverage right. your contact, right? Right. So now, um, right now, are you just focusing on automotive or are you just kind of exploring all avenues of this? No, no, we've, we've got three main industries that, that resonate really strongly. Uh, but any industry could use our tech. Sure, but you got to uh, focus. But we're we're focused startup. automotive primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, insurance is another big one for us, and also IoT in general. Uh, so, so companies that manufacture IoT devices, both commercial and industrial, resonate really strongly when when they speak to us. And then, so you you've made inroads in automotive. Have you made inroads in the other areas as well? Yeah, yeah. On all three of those areas, we're making strong inroads. But automotive, in particular, is there's a lot of low hanging fruit of opportunity there. Now, uh, what stage startup are you? Do you, you you have funding? You're looking for more funding? We're self funded, mm-hmm. um, so hopefully keep it that way until we grow a little bit, and then we'll we'll go probably bigger for funding. But mm-hmm. we're self funded at the moment. So now, how have you leveraged ATDC? What's your relationship with ATDC? So we're fairly new here. Um, you know, really, you know, from the accent, hopefully you can tell I'm not from this yeah, area. It sounded like Smyrna. I, I was getting a Smyrna <laughs> accent. Yeah, ju- just a little bit north of Smyrna, <laughs> about 4,000 miles. Um, but yeah, so, so ATDC is really helping me find guys like you just that we can share our story and really get some brilliant advice with some great advice from the people in ATDC. How did you even hear of ATDC? Um, through the the Georgia business uh, people that we got in touch with. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, you're a startup. You should be speaking with those guys at ATDC. And I was like, okay. So you hadn't heard of them before? Never heard of them. So then once you heard and saw what's happening here. Yeah, we, we just couldn't wait to be involved. It was frankly. kind of a no-brainer uh, yeah, at that was, point. It was brilliant. So now uh, – you mentioned some of the challenges of selling it. There's a lot of education. So how are you going about educating? You know, you're, is it individually one at a time as you're meeting them? Well, we've taken a very strong marketing approach, uh, strong SEO. Like, uh, thought leadership. Yeah. And, you know, we've hired one of the best people that's in that, that, that game, really. Um, and he's really helping us attract the right conversations. Mm-hmm. So we're leading people into our content from a, you know, if you're looking for identity and access management, 
you might not know about a decentralized identity and access management. You know, if you're looking for a solution to protect an asset, you might not understand that blockchain can be really powerful there for you. So we're leveraging traditional SEO and some new thinking in SEO to pull the right audience in to have conversations. Now, what about from a talent standpoint? Is it difficult for you to kind of get the right team together? No, the, the opposite. So, you know, we focus our technology and closure as a language. Um, so we actually have closure script as our main thing. So we write all of our code in closure script where possible because it's so portable. It allows us to be very productive. We have the two lead committers for that language working on our team. So that, that really helps us. Sure. But because we have those guys, we literally, we have a queue of people looking to join the team. Because they want to work with They, they want to work with thought leaders in that area. And then, you know, it's blockchain identity. We're a startup. It's really easy to attract good talent. And then, so what do you need more of right now? Um, you know, the, the classic things, we need more time, more, you know, time. more capacity. You know, uh, I wish somebody's we could move working faster. at ATDC, they're working on more time. They're, that, that's what we a need. New startup. That's the startup <laughs> I'm investing in. <laughs> right, more time. <laughs> and then you need more uh customers and more uh, people willing to have conversations to implement some of this, right? Yeah. And, and actually I think something we've struggled on is where to focus the product that can be used in so many different areas. Right. Yeah. And that's the challenge, right? Yeah, Cause it can the be the biggest challenge. So you got to pick and then uh, just start exploring yeah, and getting some traction. Everyone we speak to says, Oh, that would work for me. Can right. you do this? Right. Think, well, yeah, we can do that, but should we do that? Yeah. And, and that's a constant battle as a startup where you have an actual opportunity, but it will distract you from, from where you're trying to go. Right. Um, and that's the hardest thing that we've faced. The technology is just so relevant almost everywhere. So now for you, um, the people listening out there, the ideal customer is having what challenge? They're either trying to innovate with trust where they've never had trust before. So, you know, for example, you know, they, they want to absolutely trust an identity and it can't be compromised or they're trying to protect actions on an asset that's digital, like an IoT device. Um, product owners and, and enterprises are our absolute best person to, to attract because uh, usually they're looking for new ways to bring new features and capabilities to their customers. Uh, our technology can really help change the thinking of what's possible there with trust. And if somebody wanted to learn more, what's the coordinates? Yeah, it's vouch.io. Uh, website you can go there or you can go to the app on the app store it's just vouch.io there as well good stuff well thank you anthony for sharing your story thank you real pleasure hang with us we got the headliner you ready chris maurice with the yellow card welcome oh great to be here so i know you know cal i don't think you knew anthony what do you think no, that's uh, that's that's very very impressive work, and that's that's extremely important. Uh, basically, everywhere in the world, identity and uh, being able to manage that. So you can relate to that. I can I can relate to that. Yeah, I mean, hey, we've all had uh, accounts hacked and passwords stolen. So that makes your day. So tell us about Yellow Card. Yeah, so Yellow Card is the cash to crypto on ramp for emerging markets. So we help to promote financial inclusion. Uh, by making cryptocurrency, blockchain assets, and decentralized finance accessible in uh, developing nations. And then are you focusing in any specific developing nations? Uh, so right now, the, the main focus is in Nigeria, and uh, we're, we're working to expand outside of that into other African nations and then the U.S. and Mexico. So how did you uh, pick Nigeria? You got an email from a prince that said there were... 
Yeah, you know, every once in a while they're real. Uh, so uh, no, we uh, it's it's uh, you know a, a long story that uh, that sort of led us there, but. Uh, Really, the uh, the crux of it was uh, one day uh, my my co-founder and I were at a Wells Fargo, and there was a man there from Nigeria sending two hundred dollars to his family. So here in America, here in the here in America, in Auburn, Alabama, of all places, right. and uh, the bank charged him ninety dollars to send two hundred over to his family. Uh, and so, you know, we stopped him, talked to him for a little while. Uh, we taught him about Bitcoin. Uh, this is uh, you know a few years back before anybody had heard of it. Uh, and we, you know, explained to him how Bitcoin could help the problem, right? You can send money instantly for free. It solves the issue of getting money from here to Nigeria. Uh, what it doesn't solve, however, is what is his family in Nigeria going to do with $200 worth of Bitcoin, right? right. They're, they're going to receive it on their phone and they're going to show their friends that they have $200. <laughs> you can't buy food with it. Yeah. You can't keep the lights yeah. on. Uh, and so we, we started bringing all of these questions to our, our other co-founder, Minachi Ogweke in, in Nigeria, who's a prominent crypto trader over there. Uh, and eventually he just got tired of answering our questions. So he said, look, if you want to learn about the market, come stay with me for a while. So we, we went to, went to Lagos and, uh, built the company from there. So then now you're in Nigeria with your, you know, big pile of Bitcoin. So how did that help you in Nigeria? Uh, well, so having, having a big pile of Bitcoin would help anywhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so essentially, essentially when we got over there, what, uh, what we realized is, uh, the, the, the problem isn't the technology, right? Blockchain, cryptocurrency, that, that answers the problem of moving money around the world, of moving money between currencies, between nations. Uh, however, what is still left to be solved is that last mile problem and the, the basic financial infrastructure that really doesn't exist, especially in developing nations. And so that's what we set out to build is that, that infrastructure to help people actually on ramp to cryptocurrency and off ramp from it into local currency. So then they can get the, the milk or the meat or whatever they need, corn, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So if, if you're in, you're in Nigeria and you have Bitcoin, you go to one of our stores and you pick up cash in Naira that you can actually use to buy food or pay for your electricity, keep the water running, et cetera. And then now in some of these countries that are emerging, there's not a lot of trust in some areas. Like, how do you kind of create the trust that this is a valid way of doing business? Yeah. Trust is a big problem and it's only propagated, uh, prop, Propagated, propagated by uh, the, the the scams and everything that go on in these countries, uh, and so unfortunately, you do have a lot of bad actors, especially with online business and crypto and all of that. And so one of one of the ways that we've gotten around that is by establishing agents in the country. And so in in these countries, we have actual agents that do the cash in or cash out transaction, and they're and locals. They're they're locals. And so when when you have Bitcoin and you're going to get cash, you're going to a merchant that you're already buying bananas from, or you're already buying uh, electricity vouchers, prepaid minutes, anything like that from. You're going to a trusted source, uh, and he's the one facilitating that transaction. So now when you're dealing with the banana guy and he's uh, going to do the transaction for you, how are you having this conversation? Had he heard of Bitcoin a lot of times or is this kind of a new language for him? For the merchant? Yeah. yeah so uh, the the beauty of uh, the system that we've developed is that the merchant himself doesn't actually have to have any experience with cryptocurrency. All they need to know is that they make money every time they do cash in or cash out. 
And so they have a an app that they use on their phone or on their point of sale or whatever device that they have to manage their business. And through that app, they're able to buy or sell uh, the same way that they would buy or sell prepaid minutes on, mm-hmm. a, on a cell phone. So now how quickly did it take to get kind of a network of agents in Nigeria? Yeah, so uh, it's it really we we go about it two ways. So we have we have our application that we go directly to merchants and we say, you know, hey, you can make two hundred naira per transaction. Uh, you know, sign up, uh, and that that is obviously a longer process getting individual merchants to sign. So that's up. like one at a time. It's it's one at a time, yeah. And so uh, I mean, what we do is we send people out into the field there. So we'll have you know twenty people on the streets on any given day signing up agents. And uh, in general, they can sign up a good five to 10 per day each. Uh, and then what we do on top of that, especially as we're expanding into new regions, is uh, we partner with local distributors of airtime and other prepaid products to immediately get the product out into their network. Through that through that channel that it, already exists. Exactly, exactly. So it just becomes like another menu item for them to offer the, the network they already have. Yeah, instead of pressing four for airtime, you're pressing five for Bitcoin. Right. And then so you've chosen Bitcoin as your currency? So we're, we're currency agnostic in that, uh, what we're doing is trying to offer that, that on and off ramp to whatever they need in this, this greater blockchain world and this greater decentralized finance world. And so, uh, currently we offer Bitcoin and Dash, uh, and we're moving to offer other currencies, USDC, Ethereum, other major currencies. Now, what's your feelings about the Facebook currency? Yeah, so uh, Libra, just like any other cryptocurrency or uh, really any other major world currency, it it's it's great for moving money around, and it solves the middle of the problem just like anything else. It's I mean, it's essentially a glorified PayPal 2.0, where it solves the problem of how do I get dollar from point a, point A to point B, right? And so if I have Libra, I can send that over to anybody I want in Nigeria. Uh, but unless every merchant in the country decides to start adopting Libra, uh, which, uh, you know, of course is up to you know, up in the air, uh, they still need to be able to do something with that currency for it to actually have an impact on their lives. And so that's that's what we help with. And as soon as Libra comes out, uh, it, if it makes it out at this point, uh, we'll be offering it on the platform and enabling people to be able to on and off ramp from it. Now, oh, how do people feel about it being associated with Facebook, who doesn't have the best reputation when it comes to maybe privacy. Yeah, I mean, uh, any any time you're tying a uh, a currency that you know is supposed to theoretically be decentralized to uh, an entity like Facebook, uh, it's not going to get a great reaction uh, from the community, from regulators, from uh, just about anybody. So I, I don't think I've met a single person that's been like, you know, all right, all right Facebook's finally. releasing a current. I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank God I can trust Zuckerberg with my right. money. <laughs> what could go wrong? So now for you, what's next? Yeah, I mean, so uh, we're we're working on expanding across Nigeria and uh, moving into moving into other countries. We have networks ready to go in Uganda, South Africa, Zambia, and then uh, moving into the U.S. and other countries. So now, what is it? What's the biggest challenge? Is it to kind of just get the network in those given countries or it sounds like you now you learned in Nigeria to create the systems that can work in any emerging country. Yeah. So Nigeria, Nigeria being the largest economy, having the most people on the continent, et cetera, uh, is a great place to start. 
Uh, it's a difficult place to start, but it's a great place to start because once you once you've established systems there, uh, they can be relatively easily replicated across other African nations uh, with minor tweaks. And then, what about uh, like other South American countries or things like that? Is it is that on the roadmap too? Yeah, we we would certainly love to move uh, more towards South America. Uh, I will say, in South America, it's a lot more of a conservative culture in terms of technology and regulation. Uh, but uh, you know, we're we're certainly looking at uh, at some of the countries there. So now, how'd you get um, into the ATDC? Uh, so we, one of our advisors introduced us to Kel and, uh, some of the other guys here, man, probably two, three years ago at this point. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've been, we've been rolling with them ever since. It's a, it's a great community here. So now you were in, uh, Alabama. That's where you went to school. Auburn. Yeah. Auburn. Well, that's in Alabama. Yeah. In Alabama. <laughs> I know that's, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> it's a it's sensitive okay. issue. <laughs> So now, um, so you heard about it in uh, Auburn that the ATDC in Atlanta might be part of your growth of your company. Yeah. Uh, so we, yeah, we heard about it from one of our advisors that lives in Atlanta. Okay. So you were, but this was an Auburn centric group of you. Yeah. So we started it in Auburn, and uh, I mean Auburn being, you know, about an hour and a half from Atlanta. Right. It wasn't it's, like yeah, there's. It wasn't Nigeria. Yeah. It wasn't going across the Nigeria. <laughs> no. Yeah. Atlanta. Atlanta is definitely the place to come in the South for right. uh, for business. So. so then you heard about it. So you all relocated here. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, after after Auburn, yeah, we all moved over here and uh, been been running it between here and Lagos. Uh huh. And um, so, any advice for uh, startups out there about ATDC? Do it. Get That's involved. <laughs> so you so you started out at the at the beginning level, or when did you jump into ADDC? Because they have different levels. Yeah. So we we started out uh, we started out at the beginning level. Uh, the uh, what accelerate, I believe. Right. And then, um, yeah, we've uh, just sort of uh, you know moved up, moved up from there. And so uh, yeah, we we don't currently have. I mean, we have our own office outside of ATDC and everything. But uh, you know, we've we've yeah stayed involved with uh, with the community here and. Uh, you know, made sure to really take advantage of the, the, the resources that a place like this offers. Now, uh, what about funding? Where are you at in that regard? Is it self-funded or you have uh, investors? Yeah, so we do have investors. Uh, so we're backed by Binance, uh, which is the, the largest crypto exchange in the world right now, uh, and uh, some angels. And then, uh, you know, we're always raising money. Always raising money. Always raising money. <laughs> and then uh, what do you need more of right now? Time and time money. again. Yeah, see that startup <laughs> is going to kill. I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many people ask for time. So you need more funding. So is that that's an ongoing? Oh, it's always this, ongoing. Yeah, right. So then uh, you, but you're also trying to build the network in Africa and, and around the world. Yes, yes. So that's that's always a big thing that we're working on is is just uh, you know networking, especially in the in the crypto space. Uh, you can you can never know enough people in this space, and it's amazing who the people in this space know. Because it's still a very small community, mm -hmm. and so uh, yeah, just just meeting meeting the right people and everything, you can you can move around move around the industry very quickly. So now, if somebody wanted to learn more, what's the website? Uh, www.yellowcard.io. Good stuff, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing yeah, your story. Thank you. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio.